0: Prior to Roe v. Wade, which was a landmark ruling in 1973, there was sort of a patchwork of laws. Each state was able to make its own laws in relation to abortion and access to abortion. And in 1973, the Supreme Court set out the precedent that under the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment there was an inherent right to privacy. And this privacy right included women's rights to abortion. And this is one of the things that's really fascinating about constitutional law in the US is that the words right to privacy, abortion, and healthcare, they aren't set out or directly referenced in the constitution at all. But this right to privacy has been interpreted and enshrined in law for decades. So, at the time of Roe versus Wade, the court changed the law of the land. It set out that there were three different trimesters. And at the time, abortion restrictions were prohibited during the first trimester. However, subsequent rulings have prohibited restriction to abortion before fetal viability, which is 20 to 22 weeks. So, this ruling in tech, this legislation in Texas goes far, far beyond that. And it's basically in practice preventing women from having abortions before or anytime after cardiac activity can be detected, which, as anyone who has ever had a pregnancy knows, this can be as early as four, five, six weeks. Uh, sometimes women don't even realize that they're pregnant and you can see that cardiac activity
1: on a sonogram. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who were innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. Before we start, just a quick announcement to let you all know that my company, Equality Forward, in partnership with RPC and with support from Spotify, Coca-Cola, Europe Pacific Partners, Design It, the Wealthy Herb Women's Network and The Economist Group, will be hosting Reimagine a one-day virtual global summit showcasing new and ambitious business strategies for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Reimagine will highlight the central role of businesses in achieving the UN Sustainable Development Goals and showcase the latest innovations, ideas, and approaches for sustainable development now and in the future. Reimagine includes six themed hours covering equality, sustainability, inclusive innovation, financial empowerment, well-being, and community. The event features world-renowned innovation and design experts, business leaders, entrepreneurs, economists, inclusion specialists, financial technology experts, social change activists, and the next generation leaders as they share tools, knowledge, and corporate actions to accelerate the progress towards a more sustainable world. Reimagine is being held in support of the UN Foundation's Girl Up campaign. If you'd like to attend this virtual event, then please register today at www.reimagineglobalsummit.com. Now let's get on with today's episode. Last week, the Supreme Court in the United States decided by a 5-4 vote to allow Texas to effectively ban abortions in the state, despite the blatant disregard of the court's own 1973 ruling legalizing abortion in Roe v. Wade. The United Nations human rights experts have called the new Texas abortion law structural sex and gender-based discrimination at its worst. Women of color, those with low incomes and from vulnerable groups, will be hardest hit from this ban. Given the significance of this legal challenge in the United States, we wanted to dedicate today's episode to unpacking these issues in more detail and understand how we can support women globally with body autonomy. So today I'll be hosting a conversation with our very own Kelly Thompson, a partner in the employment, engagement and equality practice at the international law firm RPC based in London, and Anna Cronin-Scott, an international lawyer who's been practicing law since 2010. Anna also served as a special assistant to the former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, from 2005 to 2008, accompanying the Secretary on delegations to Nigeria, Europe, and domestically. So let's get started with this important conversation. Welcome, Anna and Kelly. Can we start by getting you to explain a little bit about the case of Roe versus Wade, and why this was such a fundamental judgment on reproductive rights in the United States?
0: Prior to Roe versus Wade, which was a landmark ruling in 1973 there was sort of a patchwork of laws each state was able to make its own laws in relation to abortion and access to abortion and in 1973 the supreme court set out the precedent that under the due process clause of the 14th amendment there was an inherent right to privacy and this privacy right included women's rights to abortion And this is one of the things that's really fascinating about constitutional law in the US is that the words right to privacy, abortion, and healthcare, they aren't set out or directly referenced in the constitution at all. But this right to privacy has been interpreted and enshrined in law for decades. So at the time of Roe versus Wade, the court changed the law of the land it set out that there were three different trimesters. And at the time, abortion restrictions were prohibited during the first trimester. However, subsequent rulings have prohibited restriction to abortion before fetal viability, which is 20 to 22 weeks. So this ruling in tech, this legislation in Texas goes far, far beyond that. And it's basically in practice preventing women from having abortions before or any time after cardiac activity can be detected which as anyone who has ever had a pregnancy knows this can be as early as four or five six weeks uh, sometimes women don't even realize that they're pregnant and you can see that cardiac activity on a sonogram so many of the states have now enacted laws that are going kind of far beyond what is meant to be constitutionally protected. And again, it's becoming sort of a patchwork of laws in any given region. For instance, as we know in Texas now, you aren't able to access an abortion after six weeks. If you kind of look at the map, the closest abortion providers are Oklahoma or Arkansas. And even then, some of their restrictions are 15 weeks or 17 weeks. So the actual timing to access an abortion is just, you know, it's kind of impossible if you're in Texas at the moment. But what's so interesting about this law in Texas is that it is so unconstitutional. But like so much of law and being successful in law, what the Texas legislature has done is worked around that with clever legal maneuvering by not actually banning women from having abortions or criminalizing abortions, but it set out a civil penalty regime whereby any accomplices to the performance of an abortion after cardiac activity can essentially face financial ruin because they can now be sued in civil court by countless people. Some people are calling this a legalized bounty system. It's pretty terrifying. So basically this is happening because of the makeup of the Supreme Court at the moment. Previously, we'd had Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who kind of tilted the court in the progressive favor. And now we have five justices who you can see from the decision. were with the majority decision who decided to allow this law to go ahead. And so, you know, which is kind of the terrifying part, because if the law is actually does get through to be actually heard by the Supreme Court, what's happened right now is that the Supreme Court rejected it on a procedural ground. If it does come through, there is actually potential for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. And this wouldn't be, you know, the first time that a doctrine has that has been enshrined in law for decades and decades has been overturned. For instance, separate but equal was enshrined in law for decades and was the law of the land the Supreme Court overturned that. So similarly, Roe versus Wade, you know, very plausibly could be overturned in the coming months or years. I
1: guess for a lot of people, this is hugely anxiety raising, particularly in terms of all the other laws. So when it comes to supporting gay marriage, for example, you know, across the board, we're just getting the sense that individual human rights in the United States are under attack.
0: Gay rights are very similarly enshrined under the right to privacy, which comes out of the 14th Amendment. And again, it's not a law that has been set out specifically in the constitution. So constitution fundamentalists will say that this law wasn't written by the founding fathers. We don't see it written anywhere. Why should we continue to defend this right? And it just really comes down to the interpretation of the court at any given moment.
1: It's just so unbelievable. I mean, technically, a person could rape a woman, get her pregnant, and then that woman who chooses to go and have an abortion, the person who raped her could potentially get a bounty on that woman if she chooses to get an abortion. I mean, that is unbelievable.
0: Uber drivers, receptionists, actual abortion providers, they can all be sued and, you know, they would face complete financial ruin. So today, kind of preparing for this podcast, I... Just went on the Planned Parenthood website, looked at where you could get, like if you were in Texas at the moment, like your closest access to abortion clinics. And it would be Oklahoma or Arkansas. But again, these states have pretty restrictive laws. So you need to get an in-person sonogram. You need to have the same doctor who gave you the sonogram actually perform the abortion. It has to be done a set time period apart. So it you know requires two trips, two plane flights or you know spending time in other states which a lot of women you know can't take time off work, it's completely restrictive. The abortion pill which you know you can take without being anywhere. These states have laws that you need to take it in person in the doctor's office. So even though the doctor wouldn't be performing an actual procedure, you would still have to travel out of state to access that medication.
1: So help me understand, you know, from both of you, from both your perspectives, you know, Kelly, I'd love to hear your views on this. You know, when we look at the Supreme Court, like what did they say about Texas law? Maybe you can add something around the majority decision by the Supreme Court and understanding, you know, what did the dissenting judges have to say?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an astonishing judgment, to be honest. I I practice in in the UK rather than the US, but I read a lot of judgments because I'm sad like that. And this one is scathing in terms of what the minority justices have said. And I think I'll come on to to Justice Sotomayor in a minute because her her judgment is particularly sort of strong on this point. But the other dissenting judges, they're almost kind of flabbergasted by what the majority have decided and what they essentially say. So so Chief Justice Roberts says, look, this case was expedited. So basically what happened, Michelle, was the, the organizations who were fighting against this law in Texas tried to get an injunction to stop the law coming into effect. Now, with any kind of case like that, given the urgency of it, it's heard really quickly. It's heard without kind of oral evidence from witnesses it's heard without full kind of arguments on the merits so Chief Justice Roberts was saying look we've had two days to hear what's really a fundamental issue at play yes this is partly as Anna was saying a procedural point but but it actually has really fundamental implications for the women of Texas so let's just pause a minute and take some time before we let the law come into effect. Justice Breyer another dissenting um, judge said Essentially, what the Texas legislature have done is delegated to private individuals the power to prevent a woman from obtaining an abortion during the first stage of pregnancy. But she has a federal constitutional right to that, which Anna's just explained. So they were saying, How can our hands be, be tied? This cannot be right. But Justice Sotomayor's one was properly scathing, as I say, you know, she said, the majority decision is stunning she said you've been presented with an application to enforce what's like a flagrantly unconstitutional law that was deliberately engineered to prevent women exercising their constitutional rights and to evade the ability for the for the federal courts to kind of scrutinize it and you the majority have buried your heads in the sand what you're doing is rewarding these tactics that were designed to avoid judicial scrutiny and inflict significant harm on women. So basically, the dissenting judges said what, what the Texas legislators have done is kind of game the system to the detriment of women's rights. So there was a real sort of disconnect between the majority and the dissenting judges. And as Anna said, had Ruth Bader Ginsburg still been on the bench, we would have been in, in a very different position.
1: I just think that's also so fascinating, you know. Anna, I don't know if you've got anything to add, but in terms of the judges and how this played out.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: I think, you know, reading the majority opinion, it was really interesting how the majority judges set out that this is a novel way of setting out a statute in that it enables private citizens who have no relation to the situation to bring the case and civil court And awards them with a pretty hefty financial benefit for doing so, um, including having all of their legal fees paid. So no provider is willing to take that risk as it stands right now. And you know it'll be really interesting, I think, to see how it unfolds over the next couple months and years to see how the kind of pro-choice activists work around this but yeah you know what was what was really interesting is it is really kind of a very clever novel way to infringe women's rights and terrifying that people are just coming up with these things but at the same time you know if if these types of laws are allowed to go forward progressives theoretically could take similar tactics in more progressive states so it will be interesting to see
2: if they choose to do that. What Anna and I've been referring to is this procedural issue, because actually, if you put aside how awful the impact of it is, it's very clever legal reasoning. Mm -hmm. So my understanding of it is this, in order normally for the federal courts, including the Supreme Court, to have the legal ability to challenge to block a, a state law like this, there needs to be A case made against somebody who has the power to enforce that law so if for example the law had been written in texas to say like anna said it's it's unlawful to have an abortion and the attorney general of texas or the governor of texas can prevent a woman from from doing so now in that situation the clinics or whoever had brought the case could bring it against the governor are against the attorney general and the Supreme Court would have been able to look at that because they've got a person in front of them who is legally empowered to enforce an unconstitutional law, and they could have said no, that's not okay. In this case, they drafted the law saying those people, those kind of members of the the state, right? So the governors, the tensions, they don't have the power to enforce this law. The private citizens of the state of Texas have the power to seek compensation, essentially, or penalty. So then the people who wanted to challenge this law were like, well, who can we sue? Who do we bring a case against the entirety of Texas, like every single person? So they selected groups of, I think it was the the judges in Texas to say, well, the judges ultimately would have to enforce this. So they must be the kind of gatekeepers to this law in a way. So we must be able to bring a claim against them. And that was where it fell down because the majority of the Supreme Court said, well, we don't actually accept that they're the right defendants to this claim, particularly because, you know, a couple of them have said they wouldn't themselves individually enforce this law. So you haven't even got past the first hurdle to persuade us that you've got the right defendants in the room. And so it's a, it's one of those things as a lawyer, like oftentimes people say, oh, I hate lawyers. And I'm always really affronted by it, but I can kind of understand some of that sentiment when you see laws like this that are very deliberately drafted in a clever way to get around a procedural issue, meaning that you can sidestep the restrictions on this sort of law from a constitutional point of view. Anna will probably be cringing at my UK description of US constitutional law. No, I
0: think I think that is very concise and accurate. Really, what the state is arguing is that They can't be restrained from enforcing their own rules because they're not the ones enforcing them, that the individuals who would theoretically bring the lawsuit would be enforcing the law. And no one has done that yet because the law hasn't come into effect. The state of Texas is attempting to avoid responsibility for its own laws. You know, the dissenting judges make the point that this kind of novel judicial question needs actual consideration of whether a state can avoid responsibility for its own laws in this way. And what we're saying now, what the Supreme Court has said now is
1: it can as it currently stands. So my next question for both of you and Anna, you know, maybe we can start with you. It's just understanding the impact, right? Because obviously right now in Texas, you know, other states are likely to follow what they've done. And it's really important to understand the real lived impact for women. I mean, you know, they can get called out, they're not able to access abortions, there's this fear. So what do you, you know, foresee some of the impact being?
0: You know, it's, it's awful, but women in Texas can't access abortions right now after six weeks. So they have to travel out of state. Texas is a huge state. So traveling out of state isn't driving an hour. It's, you know, taking a plane most of the time. And they generally need to do that with two appointments at least a week or 10 days apart. And so women in Texas aren't, they aren't able to legally access abortions. So Abortions aren't going to stop happening in Texas, but you know, it's going to become much, much more dangerous for women because they're most likely going to have to resort to getting illegal abortions, um, which might not be safe, dangerous, might not actually end the pregnancy, could harm any you know potential child that would be born. There's loads and loads of children already in the Texas foster care system waiting to be adopted. And what is really boggles my mind is that kind of this right to life, it's, you know, right to birth. It's There's no kind of consideration for helping women get through their pregnancies. How are they going to pay for these pregnancies? How are they going to support these children? There's no consideration to that at
2: all. One, one thing I want to say, and then I'll talk a little bit about the, the UK in particular, apparently neutral policies procedures rules laws um can have really different disparate impacts on different groups in practice so we've got this law here that as we've been saying is applies to all women and indeed to anyone seeking an abortion and they're all detrimentally impacted but we shouldn't forget that there is going to be a disproportionate impact on people who are already marginalized so women without financial means to cross the state lines as and and, and take those expensive trips that anna was describing women of colour in particular, the people who are already vulnerable are are going to be made even more vulnerable. And we know that black and Hispanic women are more likely to experience unwanted pregnancies than, than white women and more likely to need abortions, possibly because of, you know, gaps in affordable healthcare and contraception and, you know, systemic racism and discrimination as well. I saw some research from the University of Texas that was saying that black Women and those who are on low incomes are going to be particularly affected. And and actually, the reason why lots of Texas abortions have been perhaps delayed is because people are trying to find the money to pay for it. They live far from the facility, even within their state, and they've got time constraints because they're juggling work, school, childcare, etc. So you're layering it on top of already marginalized experiences. And then I think it's worth just touching on as well other marginalized co- communities. To, to your point, Michelle, about the kind of knock-on effect around I think about the trans community you know including any trans men who may need abortion services but also Planned Parenthood as well as providing abortions in the UK it's also in the US it, I believe it's one of the US's largest providers of trans healthcare. so if you've got a clinic that's closed down as a result of this law in Texas. That's also depriving people of you know of those services as well. And it, just to your question around the UK, it would be very unlikely to happen in the UK for, for a couple of reasons. Our laws on abortion are, are set out in the Abortion Act of 1967. So they've been around for a long time, although only quite recently extended to, to Northern Ireland. We don't have what you sometimes see referred to as abortion on demand because abortion providers do have to ask for a woman's reasons behind the abortion and two doctors have to sign to say it meets the legal requirements but broadly they're permitted until just before um 24 weeks gestation if continuing the pregnancy would be more risk to the woman's physical or mental health or to any of her existing children. So. The really interesting thing about UK abortion law is it kind of builds in this recognition that you can't always separate out a woman's physical and mental health and the impacts of an abortion on those from their wider social circumstances, some of the things we were talking about, so income Housing situation support network. And the law in the UK lets doctors take that into account in deciding whether they can sign off an abortion as lawful. So so our law is is relatively broad in that sense. It allows us kind of wider circumstances to take into account. Abortions are also permitted after 24 weeks in, in very limited circumstances, one of which is actually under challenge at the moment in the UK. So a completely different type of challenge, but one that's worth mentioning because one of the situations where you can have an abortion after 24 weeks is if it's likely that the child's going to be born with a severe disability so there's a challenge being brought by a lady with down syndrome saying this is discriminatory against disabled people um so that's currently going through through our courts as well so very interesting different kind of angle on it but no michelle it wouldn't happen here. and I'll, I'll tell you why because the uk doesn't have a federal Um, system like the US so in the UK for there to be a kind of change to those reproductive rights I was just describing the our government would have to make that change and if you had the equivalent of a sort of state body in the US so like a local council or a, a local government trying to kind of meddle in it for example you know your local council issues some rules saying the hospital or the clinic in this area can't do x y and z then those actions would be very likely to be outside of their legal, legitimate powers because they'd go against the Abortion Act that we were talking about. And that would mean that they could be they could be challenged in the court. And we wouldn't end up in that strange situation where like the majority in the Supreme Court felt their hands were tied. That wouldn't arise because of the way the UK legal systems set up. But I think the other point is perhaps more, more relevant, is that there's just not the political will. In the UK to seek to undermine reproductive rights in this way you know in the US there's obviously a significant vocal pro-life movement it just doesn't exist in the same way in the UK but that's not the picture everywhere you know even in Europe I think most countries do permit abortions up until a sort of 12-14 week period but there are some countries in Europe where abortions are completely illegal even where a woman's life is in danger. And then there are places where even if, you know, theoretically the abortion is legal, there aren't very many clinics, access is incredibly limited, um, doctors are able to conscientiously object. So even though there's a sort of legal right in practice, it's very curtailed for individuals. So that, of course, brings again those kind of inequalities we we were talking about earlier. So it's a very patchy picture across the world for what is really a sort of fundamental human right, as, as you described it earlier, Michelle.
1: So my final question for the day of you all really quickly is, you know, Anna, maybe we can start with you is, you know, what actions can people take? I know there are a lot of people who are hurting, who are angry, and I just wanted to share some tangible actions that people might be able to take. Um, there's lots of really
0: strong organizations that are fighting against this, uh, Planned Parenthood, the ACLU, which is the American Civil Liberties Union, you know, to check out their websites, make donations if you can, get involved and stay informed is the most important
2: thing at this moment. For, for me, I think we talk a lot about allyship and I think this is a key moment for that. And there've been some uh, from really interesting examples of allyship from businesses and organizations over the last few days. So Lyft and Uber have said that they'll cover the legal fees for the, any of their drivers that are sued under this law. I read that Lyft is donating $1 million to Planned Parenthood, Bumble and Match, the dating sites based in Texas are creating a relief fund for people who are impacted. I saw that GoDaddy have taken down a website that had been set up to allow people to post about possible Texas abortions for the for the purposes of, of recovering that, that, that $10,000. I even read yesterday in a, in a kind of bizarre turn of events that the S- Satanic Temple is trying to challenge the law on the basis that abortion is a faith-based right of its members. So there's kind of you know what you might call allyship coming from lots of different corners, and of course, as we often say on the podcast, businesses have a real power to and potentially privileged to to spend if this is a cause that they feel strongly about. And I think there's a really key role for for men, for cis men in particular, to play here because we've got a law being made by men which ultimately predominantly regulates women's bodies, and so I think it's it's understandable that women are kind of calling for. Men to stand with women, speak up on these issues in whatever way they can. And I've certainly seen a lot of that over social media and and in in the press over recent days. And I think that's going to be really important as as the advocacy ramps up and we seek to push organisations who have any power to kind of keep challenging that law, as I think we'll continue to see in Texas, and then also as further challenges to roll and wade make their way through I think there's one in, in Mississippi at the moment again we'll see those organizations looking for support in those challenges so I think it's like Anna says getting educated getting involved finding the way in which in your organization your communities you can do some good whether it's financial whether it's marching whether it's writing to people who do have power um, we've all got some ability to play a part big big or small I think think that's exactly right. and
0: I think it's just important to remember kind of the knock-on effects that these rulings can have the right to privacy right now is being chipped away for women's right to abortions. But next could be the right to privacy over, you know, men's consensual relationships, which is also connected to the due process clause in in the U.S. Constitution. So the conservative court decides to take an activist stand and overturn some of these laws. You know, lots and lots of people can be affected, not just women.
1: Thank you both so much for, you know, digging deep into this issue. It's a complicated issue, and I think it's so important that we try and understand it. And I just wondered, you know, in closing, if either of you have any messages of solidarity for women who are scared and who are not sure what to do, you know, do you have any support or encouragement um, you want to want to share?
0: I think just to remember that you're not alone and to ask for help. There's lots of organisations that want to help people, especially young people who may not have the resources to obtain these procedures on their own. You know, there's lots of helplines, lots of website centres you can write into to just reach out. And there's loads of people who want to help
2: and support. I would absolutely echo that, Anna. And I think this is a very vulnerable position for any any woman to be in and only made more vulnerable by concerns that this law will introduce so i think finding support groups and other people in the same position to speak to whether it's on social media whether it's in a local support group i think leaning on each other for support is, is really important because like anna says you're not alone but in a vulnerable position it can feel incredibly lonely and these sorts of restrictions on freedoms are sort of built around that, about isolating people and marginalising people. And you can only combat that by, by looking out for each other.
1: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. This is such an important conversation to have, and I hope Kelly and Anna have helped unpack the issue in more detail for all of you. We cannot allow these extreme abortion bans to continue to spread. You can do your part now by making a donation to Planned Parenthood Action Fund to help fight back and by speaking out in solidarity with all women on this important issue. Thanks again for tuning in to our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week